All right, we're continuing our series on investing this morning. And to begin, wanted to actually show you some pictures of my daughter. Three years old now, so here is some pictures of her growing up over the last three years. I want you to, to ask, I want you to look for some um, common color themes. Let's see, let's get through this. Here they are. Look for some common color themes in Gracie's life over the last three and a half years. Uh, what do you notice there? Pink. Everything is pink for Gracie. Gracie loves pink. We actually went through a phase, about a year, where all she would wear was pink. My wife was doing laundry every night to keep my daughter in clothes, because that's all she would wear. She loves pink. She loves everything pink. She collects pink things. She hoards pink things. She, she loves pink so much, it is so precious to her that she naturally assumes anything pink must be hers. So, yes, this is Gracie's shirt I am wearing this morning. It is on loan to Daddy so he can preach, and then we'll go back to her this afternoon. Gracie loves pink. Anything pink must be her. It's precious to her. Now, now that love of pink has created some conflict in our house. Heaven help my little boy Luke if he gets a toy with any pink on it. Because Gracie will assume there's pink there, so it must be mine. She assumes anything pink is hers because it is precious to her. She loves pink. It is so hard for her to share or to give away anything pink because pink is precious. And it is hard to part with things that are precious to us. The more valuable something is to us, the harder it is to give away or to share with others. If my little girl ever gives you something pink, that is how you will know on that day that she loves you. Because it was incredibly hard for her little three-year-old body to surrender that which is pink because she loves it. It is hard for us to give or share that which is valuable to us. And this morning, we're going to talk about uh, something that is very valuable to us, what is, for many of us, the most valuable possession we have in the world, our wealth, our money, our savings, our investments, our possessions. These things are, are precious to us. They're valuable to us. I know for myself, I went to school for 20 years. 20 years so I could get a degree so I could earn a living. I I work hard almost every day of the week to earn my paycheck. I work hard for my money. And so my money, my wealth, my possessions, my savings, they are precious to me. They are valuable to me. I I know they're precious because every time a bill comes in the mail, it's painful for me to open it up. I I don't like paying my mortgage. Every month paying all that money, seeing almost all of it go to interest, that's a kick in the gut. It hurts. And when a bill comes that I wasn't expecting, man, that's enough to floor me because my wealth is valuable to me. And because it's valuable, it's hard to give up. It's hard to give away. It's hard to share. And that's the reality that we need to confront this morning. Um, We're continuing our series on investing by looking this morning at wealth. And I think most of us know that God has called us to invest our wealth in his kingdom. We know, it's no, no news to us, that God has called us to give of our wealth to him and to his church. Now, we don't necessarily know how much to give or how often to give, but most of us know that we should give to God. But knowing that fact doesn't make it any easier, does it? It's hard to give, to sacrifice our hard-earned money, even when we're giving it to God. 
And so this morning, what I want us to do is look at the question, why? Why should we give? It is so hard to give. I love how Martin Luther put it. He said, there are three conversions necessary, the conversion of the heart, mind, and purse. And of these three, the conversion of the purse is most difficult. It is so hard to give up our wealth, to share, to give, even to God, the money that we've earned. So this morning, we're going to look at the question, why? Why should we give our hard-earned money to God and to his church instead of saving it for ourselves or spending it on ourselves like most of the rest of the world does? Now, God actually has a lot to say in answer to that question. The Bible says a lot about wealth. You may not know this, but there's actually more than 2,000 verses in the Bible about the subject of wealth. More than 2,000 verses. One in three of Jesus' parables is on the subject of wealth. God said a ton about money, about wealth, because he knew, number one, money is important, and number two, it will be very hard for us to part with it. And so he wrote all of this stuff to motivate us, all of these verses to motivate us to invest our money in his kingdom, to give generously to God and to his church. And so this morning, as I, as I prayed and thought about what to, to give to you guys as part of the sermon, what, what I felt like I should do and spend most of the time doing this morning is just laying on the table all the reasons in scripture that God gives us for why we should invest our money in his kingdom, why we should give it to God and to his church. I'm going to give you the nine most compelling reasons that I, that I see in scripture. I know nine is a lot. I'm going to be writing a lot of things down this morning. Nine is a lot, but I just felt like I should just lay it all out for you so you can see the big picture What are the reasons that God gives us for sacrificing our hard-earned money and investing it with him? Okay, so here we go. In no particular order, we're just going to go through these nine reasons that scripture gives us for why we are called to invest our money in God's kingdom. And reason number one, because our money is his. It's not ours. Our money was always his to begin with. It was never ours. Psalm 89, 11. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all it contains, you have founded them. You have created them. What the psalmist is saying is God created all things, including all our money, all our possessions, all our investments. He created it all. And since he created it all, it all belongs to him. Our money is not ours. It never was. Even if we have worked incredibly hard for it, our money isn't ours. It was always his. When we give him our money, we're actually just giving back to him what's already his. Our money was always his to begin with. That's true even if you worked really hard for your money. Even if you worked really hard with your mind and your hands to build a business and build your wealth, your wealth is still his. Now, here in America, we celebrate this ideal of the self-made man. The guy who, or, or gal who, who with their minds, with their hands, with their skills, with their intellect, with their hard work and sweat, they, they build a business, they prosper themselves, they build this wealth, they create, they innovate. And, and the Bible says that's good. It is good to innovate. It is good to work hard. But we must understand biblically, there is no such thing as a self-made man. No such thing as a self-made man in scripture, in, in reality. Deuteronomy puts it this way. Otherwise, God says, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made this wealth, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. Even if you feel like you've built your own wealth, you've prospered yourself through your hard work and your innovation, God wants you to understand, actually, it was him all along. 
It was him who gave you the ability to build the wealth you have. Our wealth belongs to him. That's why we should give, because it's not ours. Wealth is not ours. We are God's money managers. We are God's stewards. He entrusts this money to us for a short amount of time and expects us to use it wisely. And top on the list of wise uses of God's money is to give it back to him, to give it to his kingdom, to his church, to what he's doing in the world. So the first reason that we're called to give generously of our wealth to God and his kingdom is because our money was never ours to begin with. It was always God's. And and that reality leads us to the second reason why we should give. Second reason is because when we withhold, we are actually stealing from God. When we choose not to give to God and to his church, what we're really doing is stealing what is God's. Malachi 3 puts it this way. Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. God has commanded us to give his resources back to him. And when we don't, what we are doing is stealing from him. It's theft. It's like if you hired a a money manager, a broker, to invest your money on your behalf, and you find out later that he ran off to Hawaii with your money. How would you feel about that? Well, you would be a little angry, right? He took your money. That money was yours. You worked for it. Your hard-earned money, he took it. That's theft. Well, that's exactly what we do When we don't give of our money to God, we're stealing from him because it's his, it's all his. And he expects us to give it to him and to his church. So withholding our money from God is theft. In, in, In contrast, giving our money to God, reason number three to give, giving is worship. When you give of your wealth to God, that is an act of worship. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 4. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. He's talking about financial provision for his ministry. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. When you give of your wealth to God, that's an act of worship. You are worshiping God with your money. When you give to him, you're, you're glorifying him. What is worship? Worship is simply declaring publicly the worth of God. You're declaring that God is worthy of your praise. Well, when you give God your money, what you are saying to the world is, is this really valuable thing, this money that I have, God is so worthy that I will sacrifice this valuable thing to him. I will give it to him. You are declaring the worth of God every time you put money in the offering plate. Every time you give to missions or to a charity, you are proclaiming to the world that God is worthy of your money. So we give out of worship. That's actually why we pass the plate. I know most of us don't carry cash or checks anymore. Why do we keep passing the plate? To remind ourselves that giving is worship. Giving is just as important as the songs you sing. It's how you declare the worth of God. He is worthy of something as precious as your money. Okay, so third reason we give is because giving is how we worship God. Fourth reason the Bible calls us to give is because giving is how we love other people. Giving is how we love one another in the body of Jesus Christ. Let's put it this way in 1 John. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. When we give to one another in need, that is how we show love to each other. 
Some of you have financial means. Some of you have excess money. Well, what you need to understand is God has prospered you so you could share it. He didn't prosper you just so you could live luxuriously. He prospered you so you would have money to share with those in need. That is the whole design behind prosperity. So we would have a surplus to share with those in need. God has called us to share. That is how we show love for one another as we pull out our wallets and give. A great story, uh, just I guess I think a couple years ago was all, was there, there was a family here in our church um, who lost a, a parent, a grandparent to the kids, and there were some significant funeral expenses, and so one of our Sunday school classes, whom they happened to be a member of, they just opened up their wallets one day and gave literally thousands of dollars to cover those funeral expenses. That's love right there. You you pull out your wallet. It it is good if if a friend of yours is in need and you give them a hug and you tell them that you'll pray for them. That's good. You should do that. But love is when you pull out your wallet. That's when you show them love because love is demonstrated in sacrifice. That's the definition of biblical love. You sacrifice for the good of the one loved. And so when you pull out your wallet and give to those in need, you are demonstrating Christ-like love in that act. So we give financially because that's how we get to love one another. Through the sacrifice, we show love. That's the fourth reason why we're called to, to share our wealth with God and with God's people. Fifth reason scripture gives us to share and give of our wealth is because giving can change someone's eternity. Here's a Really unusual verse in Luke 16. Really strange verse. 16.9. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. So when it fails, they, may, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Wealth of unrighteousness. This is Jesus speaking. Is he saying that, that money is bad, that it is unrighteous? No, he's, he's simply saying that money has no value in standing before God. When you stand before God, your money won't count for anything. So our earthly money, it's a, it's a wealth of unrighteousness. It's, it's valueless in God's eyes. It has no eternal lasting value. But that's okay, Jesus says, because you can trade this thing that has no value with God for something that has great value with God. People. That's what your money can buy, people. It's not that your money saves them. It's that God chooses to use your money as part of the process of drawing men and women into the kingdom of God. He's talking about when we give our money to to the church, to missions, to evangelistic charities. God uses that money in the process of exposing people to the gospel so that if they believe, they become our friends. That's what Jesus is talking about there. They become friends when they believe the gospel and as a result, they will be at the gates of heaven to greet us. They will be there when we show up to say thank you. The sacrifice you made of a little bit of money that you couldn't even bring to heaven with you has purchased my soul. God used it to introduce me to eternal life. So we give because it can change someone's eternal destiny. It can be part of the process of drawing them to Jesus Christ. Now that's, that's very compelling and, and convicting to me. When I think about that, as I look back at my life, as I look back even over the last year, there are so many trivial things I spend my money on. So many trivial, insignificant things that I really didn't need. And this verse reminds me, every dollar I spend, there is an opportunity cost to every dollar I spend on myself. That is a dollar I cannot now spend on introducing someone to the gospel. 
So, so understand, it is not bad to spend money on yourself and on your family. God wants you to provide for yourself and your family. It's often wise to spend for the good of your family, but he wants us to understand there is a cost. Every dollar you spend on yourself is a dollar less you can spend introducing someone to the gospel, which can change their whole eternity. So that's the fifth reason we give, because giving can change someone's eternal destiny. Very convicting reason. Sixth reason the Bible gives us to give of our wealth to God is because your wealth is a test. Your money, your wealth, your possessions are a test. I've noticed, um, now I'm out of seminary, finally, um, I've noticed that now I read books very differently then I read them back at A&M and, and at seminary. Um, nowadays, I read books very casually. I don't necessarily read every word. I, I don't necessarily finish the book if it's not great. I don't underline. I don't take notes. I just enjoy reading now. But back in school, I read carefully. I read every page. I read every footnote. I underlined. I took notes. Why? Because I knew I would be tested I knew that I would be tested over this material and that test made me feel accountable. It made me cautious and careful in my reading. And that's how God wants us to think about our money. Our money is a test. You are being tested right now. We talked about that actually two weeks ago. Two weeks ago when we introduced this stewardship series, we talked about how every believer will one day stand before Jesus Christ and we will give an account of our life to him. He will evaluate our stewardship. Were we good stewards? Were we faithful with our time, with our money, with our talents, with our lives? Were we faithful to serve him in this life? If so, then we will rule with him in the next life. That's the test. If you're faithful in this life, then you rule with him in the next life. What he wants us to understand is in that test, in the test of this life, one of the primary issues he is testing is how you use your money. He puts it this way in Luke 16. Jesus says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, that's worldly, earthly money, then who will entrust true riches to you? And if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? What Jesus is saying, your money is actually a very little thing. It doesn't feel that way. We work really hard for our money. We, we go to school to earn money. It feels like a big thing to us. But, but no matter how hard we work for our money, it's a very little thing compared to ruling the earth with Jesus for eternity. That's like a much bigger thing. Ruling the earth for eternity. That's big. Your money is small. It's a very little thing. What God is telling you is this very little thing, your wealth, it is a test to determine whether you are qualified to rule with Jesus in the future. In other words, this whole life for us is basically a job interview. You are being interviewed right now to see if you are worthy of a promotion. Are you worthy of being promoted to co-ruler of the earth with Jesus forever or not? How you use your money is a big part of that job interview. You're being tested. Are you faithful with the little bit that Jesus has given you now? If so, he will give you far more responsibility when he returns. So that's the sixth reason that we give our wealth to God because we're being tested. Our wealth is a test from God. Seventh reason the Bible calls us to to give our wealth to God and to his church because you are almost certainly rich. Almost every one of us in this room, not necessarily all of us, but almost every one of us is rich. Now, we don't feel that way. In our culture, who are the rich ones? They're, They're the 1%, right? 
They're the really rich folks. We're the 99%, most of us. We're, we're not the rich ones, right? Well, biblically wrong. If you look at the biblical standard, actually, if you look at the historical standard for most of the history of the world, what did you have to have to qualify as rich according to the Bible? Four things. A house to live in, money for food today, money for food tomorrow, and at least a tiny bit of money left over. I'm guessing most of us have that. You have a place to live that's warm and safe. Don't necessarily own it, but you have a place to live. You have money to buy food this afternoon. You have money to buy food tomorrow. And you have at least a little bit left over. Guess what? You're rich. Biblically speaking, you are rich. The poor of the Bible literally lived hand to mouth. Day to day. If they did not work today, they did not eat today. That's what it means to be poor. Biblically, rich means you have enough money to provide for yourself for at least the next couple days. For us, we have so much surplus. I have a pantry full of food. I have a closet full of clothes. I have enough money that I can actually spend money on entertainment. If you're ever spending money on entertainment, then biblically, you're rich. Because only rich people biblically have excess money to spend on entertainment. We are rich Even though we don't feel like it, biblically speaking, we are rich. I love how uh, Brand puts it in his book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Dear Lord, he says, I have been rereading the record of the rich young ruler and his obviously wrong choice. Uh, But it has set me thinking, no matter how much wealth he had, he could not ride in a car, have surgery, turn on a light, buy penicillin, hear a pipe organ, watch TV, wash dishes in running water, type a letter, mow a lawn, fly in an airplane, sleep on an inner spring mattress, or talk on the phone. If he was rich, then what am I? You're rich. You are of the rich, biblically speaking. And so that means that any passage you see in scripture that refers to the rich, to the wealthy, that's you. Almost certainly that's you. Definitely me. It's almost everyone in this room. We are the rich. And so the passages, the obligations, the responsibilities that God lays on the rich are laid on us, including passages like this in 1 Timothy 6. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. I've noticed that when we feel poor, we tend to be stingy. If I view myself as poor, then it's very hard for me to share with others because all I can think about is myself. When we view ourselves as rich, it's much easier to give. And what you need to do this morning is just realize, just, just make the mental leap to understand that's you. Rich in this present world, that's you. Compared to the vast majority of the world and compared to almost everyone historically, everyone in the Bible, you are rich. You are prosperous. And God has prospered you, not just so you could live luxuriously, but so that you could share with those in need, so that you could give to God and to his kingdom. I love how Randy Alcorn puts it. God has prospered us not to raise our standard of living, but our standard of giving. That's why there's rich people like us on the earth, so that we could give, so that we could give to God and to his kingdom, so that we could share with those who are in need. God's prospered you so you could give. You are almost certainly rich, and as a result, you are under the responsibilities and obligations of rich people. We must give. We've been prospered much so we can give much. 
That's reason number seven why we should give our wealth to God. Reason number eight that scripture lays out. We should give to God because giving protects us. Giving protects us. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Um, Biblically speaking, money is not bad. Bible never calls money bad, but money is actually morally neutral. It's neither good nor bad. What is bad according to scripture? The love of money. That's the bad thing. When you love money, when you pursue it, when you chase after money, that's when it turns bad and harms you. Here's how it's put in 1 Timothy 6. But those who want to get rich, who who pursue and chase after wealth, they fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. When you chase money, when you run after it, money harms you. It hurts you. Actually, when you chase after money, um, it's a little bit like chasing after alcohol. Don't know if you ever thought about alcohol, but according to the Bible, there's nothing wrong with a beer. Nothing morally wrong with an alcoholic drink. But when you love that beer, when you chase after it and consume more and more and more and more of it, what do we call you? An alcoholic. Alcohol has come to master you. This thing that was morally neutral now owns you. And alcohol, as most of you know, makes an awful master. That's exactly how money works. It's morally neutral, but when you chase after it, when you long for it, when you seek above all to accumulate wealth, it ends up owning you. It ends up mastering you. And money, while it makes a great servant, it makes an awful master, a destructive master. Jesus puts it this way, Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. If you chase after wealth, if you love money, then necessarily it leads you away from God. You cannot serve both God and money at the same time. That's the danger of money. Money isn't bad, but it's incredibly dangerous because it can pull your heart away from God. Money can pull your heart, your affections, your emotional attachment away from God. When you chase after money, it ends up mastering you and owning you. That's the folly of those who think that they own all the wealth they've, they've accumulated. No, actually, your money owns you. Now you worry about it all the time. You worry about how to grow it. You worry about how to protect it. You're always thinking about your money. Guess what? It's not yours. You're its. You belong to it. It now owns you. Money wants to master you. If you love money, if you pursue it, it will enslave you and destroy you. It will destroy you personally. It will destroy your relationships. Statistically, of all the marriages that break up in our country, um, financial conflict is the number one reason by a margin of four to one for divorces, for, for the breakdown of marriage. When you pursue money, when you love money, it destroys you. It tears apart your life and your relationships. So, how do you protect yourself from the love of money? By giving it away. That is the only way to protect yourself from enslavement to wealth. You got to give it away. Every time you give your money to God, to the church, to someone in need, to a charity, every time you give that money away, you numb the love of money in your heart a little bit. 
You numb that, that draw of money over your affections. You, you numb it, you kill it just a little bit every time you give. And so we must be giving over and over again. The only way to protect our hearts is to give. We should always be giving money. That's how we make sure that we still love God above money as we continually give. So give your money away. That is how you protect yourself from falling prey to this trap of the love of money. That's the eighth reason scripture gives us for giving to God and to his church. The ninth reason scripture gives us is because giving is an investment, not a sacrifice. Matthew six nineteen to 20. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. If the limitation of money is right there in verse 19, money in in any form, wealth in any form is fleeting. If you've got it in cash, then it deflates over time. If you have it in investments, and stock markets crash eventually. If you have it in cars, they rust. Houses, they crumble. Every form of earthly wealth is decaying. It is passing away. It will not last. But Jesus says, that's okay. Good news. You can trade your temporal earthly wealth for heavenly treasures that will never fade, that will never deflate, that will never crumble. We talked a lot about that two weeks ago. When you invest your money in the kingdom of God, what is the reward you can look forward to in eternity? We laid it out, three specific things. Honor from Jesus Christ, opportunity to rule with him over the earth when he returns, and crowns that we use in worship in eternity. All three of those things, honor, opportunity to rule, and crowns, they are yours forever if you invest your money with God. When you give financially to God in this life, got to understand, you are not making a sacrifice. A sacrifice is when you give something away to never get it back. That's not what we're doing when you put money in the plate. God is not going to be your debtor. He's not going to let that money go away. No, he's going to return it to you. You are going to get that money back with interest, just not in this life. Not in this life, in the next life. When you give to God, you are making an investment in eternity an eternal reward account with God. He will repay in the future. He will reward you with honor, opportunity to rule and crowns in heaven that you will enjoy for all eternity. And so as we look at giving to God, we've got to understand, it's not a sacrifice, it's an investment. It's actually the best investment you could possibly make because it is absolutely safe. God is never going to lose your investment. He's God, he's infinite, he's all powerful. He's not gonna lose your investment and he's gonna be paid dividends on that investment forever, for all eternity. So, We've looked at a lot of reasons this morning for why God has called us to give our money to him. He gave us all of these reasons, nine reasons, and that's honestly not all of them. That's as many as I could bring myself to put in one sermon. I hope I haven't overwhelmed you, but I wanted to lay it all out. This is why God has called you to part with that which you love so much, your money, your possessions. I love them too. This is why God has called us to give sacrificially to him and to his church because all of these things are true. I, I hope at least one of these reasons to give has really struck home with you this morning. It's, it's really motivating you to give to God and to his kingdom. And so uh, let's now talk a little bit about how to give. Understanding why, let's talk just for a moment about how do we actually give? How do we invest our wealth with God? Four quick principles I wanna lay out for you scripturally. First, when it's time for you to, to give your wealth to God, 
as you give, give cheerfully. Men, let me ask you, married men, let me ask you, when you were uh, saving up for the engagement ring that you gave your wife, how did you feel? How did you feel about that engagement ring? Now, now for most of us, that engagement ring uh, was a lot of money. (laughs) Relative to what we earned at the time, that may have been the most expensive thing you had ever bought at that stage in your life. I know a lot of guys who go work a second job or sell cherished possessions to be able to buy that ring. They make a huge sacrifice to buy that diamond ring. But how do they feel as they're putting it on the finger of their fiance? Do they feel obligated, burdened, and sad? No, they feel ecstatic. (laughs) I hope. (laughs) Really bad sign if they feel bad. I know when I put that ring on Julie's finger, I felt incredibly excited. It did not feel like a burden. It felt like a thrill to give it to her. That is how we're to give to God. Cheerfully. Because it's a privilege to give to God. It's not a duty. Don't give to God like you give to the IRS. Give to God like you give engagement rings. We give to God not out of obligation, but out of privilege. It's a privilege to give to him, to share our wealth with him. That's why Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9, each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He loves when we give to him joyously. Now you may say, okay, Blake, I I understand I should give cheerfully, but it's really hard. I do not feel cheerful as as I give to God. In that case, then I would just say, go back over the nine reasons. That's why I put them all on the table there, to help us to remember why it's a privilege and honor to give to God and to his kingdom. When you don't feel cheerful in that moment that you are giving to God and to his church, go back over the reasons why we give. See why it's a privilege, not an obligation to give to God. So give cheerfully. Second principle scripture gives us give regularly. First Corinthians 16, two. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Remember, giving is part of worship, and and we're called to worship God regularly. I I hope you don't just come to church once a year. You you hopefully come habitually every week to worship God. Well, our giving should be the same. It should be habitual. It should be regular. You should be giving financially to God either every week or every month so that you're building a habit of worship with your finances. It should be a regular thing. It's actually better to give $5 a month than $60 a year. Same amount of money, but by giving every month, that is more worshipful because it's regular. It's a habit of worship to God. So if you don't have many resources right now and you can just give a little bit, man, give a dollar a week or or $5 a month and build that habit, that regular practice of worship with your money. It's meant to be regular. Third principle of how to give. Cheerfully, regularly, third, privately. Matthew 6, 2. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. If you give for show, it doesn't count. It's not worship. It doesn't earn reward. If you give and Facebook about it, that's it. You add your reward right there. Hope you get a lot of likes, because that's all you're going to get for your gift. When you give, give privately. To the best of your ability, don't let anyone else know about your gifts. So cheerfully, regularly, privately, and forth, sacrificially. God calls us to give sacrificially. Now, whenever I teach on the subject of giving, the most frequent question is what? How much do I need to give? 
What is the amount that God expects me to give? In the Old Testament, what was the amount God expected his people to give? The tithe, right? 10% of your gross income was to go to the Lord. Now, just, just so you know, um, the tithe was actually only part of their giving. It didn't include all the sacrificial system. If you add it all up, the average Israelite was required to give 22% of their income to God. That was the amount they gave. Uh, in the New Testament, there is no number. Jesus gives us no percentage. Now, some of you, after hearing 22, are breathing a huge sigh of relief. All right. New Testament doesn't give us a number, but we're not off the hook. Because what the New Testament does give us is a standard of sacrifice. That's how Jesus defined How much should you give? You should give whatever it takes to make a sacrifice. That's the right amount of giving. Jesus puts it this way in Mark 12. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Jesus commends her because she gives till it hurts. That's the right amount, biblically speaking. You give until it makes a real sacrifice, until it costs you, because that's how you love God. That's how you worship God, is you make a sacrifice. It, it really has to cost you. Now, that actually isn't only the standard for the New Testament. That's always what God intended. King David understood that. In 2 Samuel, God calls David to go buy a particular piece of land and build an altar. And so David goes to the landowner um, and, and talks to him about it. And the landowner says, hey, you're the king. You can just have it. It's yours for free. Here it is. It's yours. And here's how David responds to that. However, the king said to Aruna, the landowner, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. When we give out of our excess, when, when we give something that doesn't really cost us anything, that's not worship. Worship is when we give till it hurts, till we're really making a genuine sacrifice. That's the standard of giving. For some of you, that's going to be 2%. You, you are just barely making it. 2% is a major sacrifice for you. And so God is greatly glorified by 2%. For others of us, it's going to be 10% or 20% or 50% or 90%. I know of people who give 90% of their income to God because that's how much they have to give before it hurts. Really rich people, they understand. The way I worship God is by giving sacrificially. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. I do not believe one can settle how much he ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. That's a biblical model. You give until it's a genuine sacrifice. So we are called to give to God cheerfully, regularly, privately, and sacrificially. And then we ask, okay, who do we give to? And, and the Bible lays out a lot of options, but the primary answer to that question, who are you to give to? The primary answer biblically is your local church. Whatever church you belong to, that's the primary place that God has called us to invest in financially. Galatians 6, 6, Paul puts it this way. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now let me just say, because I feel weird even sharing this verse, I'm not asking you to give any money to me. If you bring me a check, I will not take it. I, I don't want your money. I'm, I'm taken care of. What I'm talking about is the church. Grace Bible Church. For those of you who belong to Grace Bible Church, this is your home. This is where you are fed. This is where you choose to invest. I'm challenging you and scripture is challenging you to give primarily to Grace Bible Church. 
And let me just talk about that for a minute. I want to talk about giving to Grace, to Grace Bible Church for a moment. Usually in these sermons, this is when we end and pray. I just leave it in some principles and we go home. Um, This week I want to go a little more in depth. I want to lay out for you some things that the elders and pastors and staff have been talking about. Why should we invest financially, myself included, my own money included, in Grace Bible Church? Easiest way for me to say is because I love this church. I don't love Grace because I work here. I have loved Grace Bible Church far longer than I have worked here. I was here long before I was on staff. I love Grace Bible Church because for over 40 years, God has been using Grace Bible Church to reach literally the entire planet for Jesus Christ. Raising up students, adults, and children, training them in grace, equipping them in the word of God, and then sending them out to take the gospel to the far reaches of the earth. This church has literally trained tens of thousands of people over the last 40 years who are now taking the gospel of grace all over the world. This is the most strategically significant church I have ever been at. That's why I work here. Because it is incredible. I love Grace Bible Church. I love what God is doing here at Grace. And and what God is doing is growing with time. I imagine that it is obvious to you we are relatively full this morning. Grace Bible Church is growing. It is growing rapidly. Um, About four and a half years ago, we were maxed out at our one campus, Anderson Campus. And so we launched Southwood. And here we are four and a half years later, and we are full again at the next service. If last week was any measure, we'll have 130 to 150 people sitting in the foyer because there's not a single open chair in this room. Grace Bible Church is growing. Southwood is growing. Um, We are out of room at both campuses, both Anderson and Southwood. And so after a lot of prayer, the elders and pastors and all of us on staff, we believe God is calling us to do it again to do the next Southwood, the next campus. It's time to multiply again because we're out of room. We can't invite more people because there's no seats for them. There's no parking spaces for them. It's very hard to invite visitors when you've got no room. God is calling us to multiply again, but we can't yet multiply again until we improve our financial health. And so let me just uh, share a couple numbers with you guys. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but since we opened Southwood in 2008, so over the last four and a half years, attendance at Grace on a Sunday morning has doubled. We're now a church of 5,000 people, not on a home game weekend, that's average Sundays. We're at 5,000 people, yeah. Over that time, 100% numerical growth, 20% budget growth. Budget has just, just gone up just a little bit over that time. For that reason, if you kind of crunch the numbers out, what that means, how it impacts all of us, is that between 2008 and 2012, here's the ratio of people to pastor. When we opened Southwood 277 to 1, that's still above national average. We were already understaffed. Now 454 to 1. 454 people on a Sunday morning to one pastor. Um, Here at at Southwood, um, when we opened four and a half years ago, we opened with 250 people and caring for them, three pastors. Uh, This weekend, we'll have probably more than 1,800 people here at Southwood and caring for them, three pastors. We've not had the money to add pastoral staff um, over the years. Now, all that's to say, God has blessed us. We don't want to pass over that. We've been in the middle of a recession, and we've laid no one off. I have a lot of friends at other churches who have laid people off. So we feel incredibly blessed. God has not caused us to lay anyone off, but we're in a position where not only can we not multiply again, but we can't even care for all the people we have. We can't even equip and train all the people who are coming to grace. And so the elders, the pastors, we invite you to participate financially in Grace Bible Church. 
We invite you, if this is your home, again, if some other church is your home, if you're just visiting today, glad to have you. Please don't give to us. This is not your local church. If this is your church where you belong, then we invite you to participate. We invite you to help us accomplish all that God has called Grace Bible Church to do. Now, I know most of us, we don't carry cash anymore. We don't carry checks anymore. You can just go to our website, click give. We have a page. We've invested a lot of time um, beefing up our electronic giving options. You can give one time. You can give regularly. You can set up automatic giving through a bank account, credit card, debit card, all kinds of options. If you do that, if you feel led by the Lord to go online and give, I encourage you, you can select what you're giving to. Give to the general fund. That's, that's the big number, the fund that supports the ministries of Grace Bible Church. Now, some of you have very little to give, students especially. You're thinking, well, this isn't for me. I'm a student. I'm barely making it. What I would encourage you to do, if you even just have $5 a month, begin to give now. $5 a month is not going to make a big difference in our, in our bottom line, but it's going to make a big difference in whatever church you go to next. Because in this time of poverty, you will begin to establish a habit. And then when you move on and get a job and the money comes rolling in, you'll be in this habit of giving. So it doesn't help us, but it will help the next church. So please, even if you just have $5 a month, begin to give it. Begin to build that habit of worshiping God with your money. And for those of you who do have significant resources and grace is your home, we invite you to help us out. We need help to accomplish all that God is calling grace to do. Final plea I want to make is to those of you who, who maybe you've not made up your mind yet about this Jesus guy. Not made up your mind yet about whether you think he's really the son of God, really died for you, really rose from the dead. Um, you're not sure about this whole eternal life thing yet. Maybe you feel like you still, you still have to work for eternal life some, still have to work to earn God's love. If you're still wrestling with, with this whole thing called eternal life, then um, what I would encourage you to do today is, is please don't, don't give anything to us. We don't want you to give to us. Instead, we really want to give to you. We want to share with you the good news that you don't have to earn God's love. Your money is not a tool to earn eternal life for you. That's not how it works. Uh, God wants to give you eternal life. God is the greatest giver. No matter how much you give, you might be a billionaire and give $50 billion to God, you will still be in God's debt. Because God is the greatest giver of them all. Because God gave his own son. Jesus Christ, to take our sins upon himself, died in our place, rose from the dead to conquer sin and death for us, and now God gives us eternal life as a free gift, not something you earn, not something you merit, but yours if you simply receive it in faith, if you simply say to God, yes, yes, I believe God, that life, eternal life, forgiveness is a free gift that comes to me because Jesus took my place. He died for my sins. He rose from the dead. Our prayer for you this morning is that you would believe that. That you would believe that. God is the greatest giver. He will be no man's debtor. He's given us his own son. What is our money compared to that? Let's go to him in thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are the greatest giver. We praise you that you gave your own son for us. What is most valuable, more valuable than the entire universe put together, the son of God, perfect. He gave his own life as a sacrifice for us. He died for our sins and rose from the dead, defeating sin and death on our behalf so that you could give us eternal life as a free gift. Forgiveness of all of our sins if we simply believe, if we simply receive that gift. Thank you, God, for your indescribable gift in Jesus Christ. 
I pray for any person here who hasn't received that gift. Please let this morning be a day of their salvation. Let it be the moment that you open their eyes so that they see that eternal life is not something to be bought or merited or earned, but is a free gift found through faith in Jesus Christ. For those of us who have received that gift, who have eternal life through faith, I pray, Father, that you would, that you would enlarge our hearts to give. I pray that you would help us to give generously to you, to your church, to your people. I pray, Father, that we would invest sacrificially, recognizing really not making a sacrifice. You will return with interest to us all that we give in, in eternity, Lord. Thank you for that. We pray that we would give generously, that we would give cheerfully as an honor. We pray that we would give cheerfully out of worship to you. We pray, Father, that we would demonstrate our love for one another and for you by giving generously of the wealth that you have so graciously given us. I pray, Father, that for all of us, that we would participate in what you're doing here at Grace and around the world through your gospel. Help us to be a people who give generously. Thank you for all that you've done our God of grace, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus, who makes it all possible. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week as we look at investing our time in God's kingdom.